the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel, how should David respond when mistake leads to disaster? Double down and deny everything? Give up? Or be humble and try again? We'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 6 verse 6. Once again, that's 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died right beside the ark of God. There's no party killer like somebody having that happen to him. Everything comes to a screeching halt. Well, what happened? Well, when the oxen, it says shook, it means they stumbled, which would have then caused the ark to topple because it's just sitting on a cart. Uzzah took hold. He grabbed the ark to make sure it did not fall off. And when he did that, It says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God killed him for his, King James says, error. The word there, it's the word sin. And it means accidental wrongdoing. In other words, Uzzah wasn't trying to do anything wrong. He didn't sit there and think, I'm going to touch this ark when I'm not supposed to, and I don't care what God says. It was in the moment, he did something he shouldn't have done, but again, it wasn't with ill intent. We read this sometimes and go, God, why did, you, why did you do this? Well, Exodus chapter 25, I'll read it to you real quick, verses 11 through 14, explains the building of the ark. And in the building of the ark of the covenant, it tells us how it's supposed to be transported. It says, and you shall make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the staves into the rings that are on the sides of the ark so that the ark may be carried with those staves. In Numbers chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it gets even more detailed. Numbers 4, 5 and 6, it says, And when the camp sets forward, Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it. And then they'll put on top of the covering, the covering of badger skins, and then they'll spread over it a cloth holy of blue, and then they'll put the staves inside. So the idea is, even when they took down the ark, when they were deconstructing the tabernacle, when they would go on the move, they were supposed to do it a certain way. Only Aaron and his sons were supposed to break it down. And then even then, 
no one was supposed to see it. They were going to put multiple layers of curtains on top of it and then slide the staffs in and then the guys would come grab it. And so it's interesting, you read on in verse 15, it says, and when Aaron and his sons have made, and this is God's instructions to Moses, when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is to set forward, after that, the sons of Kohath shall come and carry it, the ark. But they shall not, the sons of Kohath, shall not touch any holy thing, lest they die. This is not a confusing issue of what happened here. God gave very clear instructions. This is how it's supposed to be done, and I need you to do it this way so nobody dies. Okay? The ark, first off, it's to be carried by Levites. It's not to be picked up like a loaf of bread. It's to be used the stave so that no one touches the ark. It has been set apart by the Lord, and he gave clear instructions on how to do it, how to to move it. And if someone besides the high priest family ever touches it, well, then they will die. So while Uzzah wasn't trying to do anything wrong, number one, he's not a Levite, shouldn't be the one carrying this thing in the first place, and he hasn't been trained in the proper way to care for the ark. That does not make what he did, however, okay. In Leviticus chapter 5, verse 17, when God is covering all the offerings for sins and trespasses, he says, and if a soul sin and commit any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he doesn't realize it, yet is he guilty and shall bear his iniquity. You see, that's not fair. Well, first off, let's not get into the conversation of what's fair, because if we begin talking about the cross and we want to talk about fairness, all of us are going to lose that conversation. So, The issue is, is that God is perfect. He has a perfect way of doing things. And it's not okay to violate that in any way, shape, or form for any reason. Okay? So that's our standard. That's how just things are. Now, as a sin, he did something he wasn't supposed to do. While his sin was accidental, David set him up for failure. David knew better. In fact, if we go back to First Chronicles, if we go a few chapters after chapter 11, we go to chapter 15, we get some insight that Second Samuel doesn't tell us. After this event happens and David decides to bring the ark back again, he shows here that he knows how it's supposed to be done. First Chronicles 15, verses 11 through 13. And David called for Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Asiah, and Joel, Shemaiah, and Eliel, and Aminadab, and said unto them, You are the chief of the fathers, the leader of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. For because you did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us for that we sought him not after the due order. David knew how it was supposed to be done. He he didn't do this out of ignorance. He he didn't do this because he thought, well, I didn't know God. He knew and he set Uzzah up for failure. I don't know what he was thinking, but he made a bad choice. And it cost Uzzah's life. Now, there's a lesson for leaders there. It's this. Leaders can't afford to cut corners. 
Leaders can't afford to say, well, we're doing a good thing. How we do it isn't important. Doing things the right way is just as important to God as achieving the right result. I'm going to say that again. Doing things the right way is just as important to God as achieving the right result. And therefore, it should be important to me too. And so when this tragedy occurs, it's interesting. This is one of the first times we see this, but David's angry at the Lord. His, his response is not good. It says, and David, verse 8, 2 Samuel 6, was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, had, had, had an outburst upon Uzzah and acted. And so David actually named the place Perez Uzzah to this day, which means outburst against Uzzah. Every time somebody walked by there, they're like, hey, what's that over there? Well, that's Perez Uzzah. Outburst against Uzzah? What's that about? God killed this guy, and David really mad about it. The word therefore displeased, it's the same exact word when it says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. Same phrase. David's anger was kindled against the Lord. David was outraged at God for doing this. How can you do this, God? We're trying to do something good. Things have been going so well, now you've ruined it all. Ruined my parade. David may have been thinking he was doing worship. But worship isn't worship because instruments are being played or people are celebrating or even because we have a a spiritual goal or mindset. Worship occurs when hearts are yielded to the king of kings, when our desire is to do things his way. And you know what's interesting? That can happen without instruments, without celebrating people, and it can even happen without having the spiritual mindset. Some of the greatest moments of worship in my life have been when I just stood up and took the Lord's hand in obedience to Kim, despite not feeling spiritual in the least. David, we can look at this and go, man, I can't believe he got angry at God, but he's, he's not so alone in his response. I've seen many who name the name of Christ as their Savior get angry at the Lord, you know, because, well, everything was fine and God messed it all up. And you say, well, yeah, but didn't, didn't you do this? And isn't that not the way God said to do it? Yeah, but I mean, it's just one thing. Why did God have to go and let all this happen because of this one thing? I wasn't trying to do anything bad. It's never a good sign when my first response to a ruined day or a ruined month or a ruined year is to blame God instead of maybe look at what I could have done better. When I am in that place and I believe that somehow God has been unfair or God's been unfaithful to me, what happens is, is I automatically move away from two very crucial truths. Number one, the truth that God always loves me. And number two, that God is always good. Anytime I start to do that, I move away from those two truths. And and when I move away from those two truths, and I don't know if God loves me anymore, I don't know if God's good, fear sets in. And so in verse nine, it says, and David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? You know, in 1 John chapter four, verse 18, that famous verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. That's where David's at. He is somehow moved away from God's love because he's lost this idea that God is good, lost this idea that that God loves him. And so now he's afraid. What what is God going to do to me? He doesn't say, he's not saying, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me in the sense of like, well, how can I bring it to me? No, he's going, how can I bring this thing to me when this is what happens when somebody messes up? You know, is God just going to kill everybody in Jerusalem if the next bad thing I do? 
He was scared of what else God might do in the future. And so because David's casting blame on God for this, he pulls away from God. And that left David to try to figure out what to do next on his own. And let me tell you, that's the worst place to take yourself, and it will always result in a bad choice. It will always result in a choice that doesn't glorify the Lord. And so verse 10, David decides, we're not going to bring it to Jerusalem. We're going to transport it somewhere else. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. Instead, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Two important things to see there. Number one, how did David bring it there? He carried it. He had it carried, not on a cart. He did it the right way. And who's Obed-Edom? Well, if we go back to First Chronicles chapter 15, we would find out that Obed-Edom is a Levite who lived near Jerusalem, the guy who's supposed to handle it. So again, David's not ignorant of how this is supposed to go. He knows who's supposed to handle the ark, and he knows how it's supposed to be transported. And guess what? Everything was fine on this trip to Obed-Edom's house. But instead of bringing it all the way to Jerusalem, he's scared to do that because he thinks God might get me again. Listen, when you mess up, because it's going to happen, all right? If you're a believer, it does not make you immune to sin, all right? We have victory in Christ, surely, but do we always make that choice? And, and you and I know the answer to that question. We don't. So we're going to have a point where we're going to have to own up to the Lord, all of us. Probably multiple points. For some of us like me, multiple points every day. When that happens... When you mess up, don't make things more complicated by not owning up. God isn't out there looking to condemn you when you blow it. He's trying to teach us to fix it, and he is more than ready to help us do so. And so he allows something to happen sometimes so we can see this is not okay. And so the ark's taken to this home of Obed-Edom the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his family, his household. God is so gracious to us when we're in the worst place, we're in the worst mindset. God could have been totally perturbed with David. Really? This is how you're going to do it? You're going to blame me for this. You knew how you're supposed to do this, decided not to do it. I told you what happened if you didn't do it right, and that happened, and now it's my fault? God could have been completely perturbed, and yet instead, he graciously blesses Obed-Edom for three, all the whole time the ark's with him, almost as if to kind of lovingly tease David. David, this blessing could be yours if you just humble yourself and acknowledge that you should have done this right the first time. I'm not angry with you. We can fix this. You just need to make it right. This blessing can be for you, just like it's for Obed-Edom. Just make things right, man. Quit being stubborn. Instead, David stews for three months before coming to his senses. Look at verse 12. And it was told King David, saying, David, come on, man. The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertains to him. I mean, his family's blessed. Everything he's got's blessed right now. Do you see all the awesome stuff that's happened to him? It's because of the ark of God. You know, someone came to David, or someones came to David and said, David, Come on, God's for us, man. The ark is a blessing. It's not a curse. God didn't do anything wrong. And David finally cracks. He finally repents. And so David went, he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David. Notice how he does it? 
with gladness. That's the mark of repentance. He does it with gladness. Many people never come to that place. They stay angry at God or afraid of God and therefore stay away from God. Is it good to stew like that for three months? No, but it's better to stew like that for three months than three months in one week. Three months in two weeks or seven months or 17 months or 17 years. I've known people who are angry at God or afraid of God from something that happened three decades ago and they won't, they won't draw near because of it. If you've been staying away from the Lord lately, stop. He loves you. And he wants to bless you. I know there are times that it may seem like, but he's not for me. Look at what happened. But he is for you. He's not against you. Humble yourself and go back to the beginning. See, if I go back to the beginning, it might get hurt again. I might mess up again. Something bad might happen again. Yeah? And that's why grace is there. That's why grace is there. There have been numerous moments in my life where I could have just said, you know what? I'm pretty sure God's done with me. And that means I'm done. And there would have been ample reason that in my own heart and maybe even other people look and go, yeah, I think God's done with you. But God has been so gracious. We see it example after example in the scriptures and you know it in your own life. And every time God has said, well, just come back and let's start from the beginning again. Let's start from the beginning again. I was telling my son today in the car, we were driving home and, you know, and he was talking about formulating some good spiritual habits. And he's like, yeah, but it's hard. And I was like, yeah, but every good habit starts with one day, right? Everybody has to start somewhere. So let's go back to the beginning if you've been away. I love that David came back with gladness. David's desire to celebrate was awesome. You know, his desire to bring the ark back was wonderful. There's no reason to pout about this. Let's just do it. And let's go back and do it like we were going to do it before, but better. Let's do it the right way this time. So David swallows his pride. He says, let's go back to the beginning. What we wanted was good. We just need to do it God's way this time. And this time they do. Verse 13. And it was so that when they, that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he, David, sacrificed oxen and fatlings carried the ark, bear it. They carried it with the staves like it was supposed to be done. And it says that he sacrificed, he worshiped. The the idea here of sacrificed oxen and fatlings, these are offerings of confession and surrender. They're offerings of thankfulness and awe. And, And that's what worship is. It's about all those things. Now, can it be exciting? Well, yeah, it could be exciting. You know, there's times when you, you just are so overwhelmed with the goodness of God or the, the mercy of God or the faithfulness of God or the majesty of God. And yeah, it's exciting. Sometimes, though, it's heart-wrenching. Worship is about confession, surrender, thankfulness, and awe, whether it's exciting or not. Don't put the cart before the ark. David danced before the Lord with all of his might. I've been preparing a demonstration for all of you, so just kidding. The word there means joyous, rhythmic, whirling motions. The idea is, and he's doing it before the Lord, which means before the ark. So the idea is, is David's kind of like one of those super talented, like drum majors who do a bunch of dancing and stuff, like at the head of the parade where they're just going for it. That's David here. 
That is David here. He is just going for it. He is twirling around. He's just celebrating and he's doing it unto the Lord. Inevitably, every time I come to this passage in scripture, someone comes to me and go, and that's why you should let us start dancing during church. Which is where I have to remind us that this is not a church service. It's a parade. It's a parade. If you want to have a Christian parade and go dancing in the street, be my guest. Be my guest. You want to have a Christian party and go dance it? Be my guest. Stay in your seat here. (laughs) All of his might, nothing held back. There's no pouting from David, no half-heartedness. He is all in. And this is one of the things that made David a man after God's heart. David may have blown it a lot, but when he comes back to the Lord, he always comes all the way back. He always comes all the way back. He totally believes in God's forgiveness, that it is true, and that God can accept him again, and that he can just continue moving forward. I don't know about you. I struggle with that sometimes. I know I hear the, the promise of God that I can come back, and yet there's a hesitance to me sometimes. I'm like, can I really come back? Like, can God really use me right now? Or does he really feel the same way about me? Yes, 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 and yes. And David is a, a great example of that. That David came all the way back means we can come all the way back even when we've gone so very far away. God doesn't put us in time out. He doesn't treat us like second-class citizens. When we repent, it's done. It's forgiven, and we are welcomed back with open arms. Now, it mentions that when David's dancing here, twirling with all of his might, that he was girded with a linen ephod. Now, the linen ephod is the priestly undershirt. It kind of covered your chest, but it, it barely reached the knees. Now, the problem is the priest normally wore a robe over that thing when they did their work, okay? They didn't just go out in their underwear, you know, with a long shirt, you know, and go and do in the service of the Lord. But David, he's not a priest. And so he's likely wearing this garment because the priests weren't supposed to minister to the Lord without wearing them underneath. Those garments, the linen garments, the ephod, it represented God's righteousness. Uh, the idea is you know, they're not ministering in their own righteousness. They're covered in the Lord's righteousness. And so, but again, they would wear a robe over it, and so you wouldn't see any of that. But David's out there and just his skivvies, kind of. And so he's, and he's twirling away. So I'll let you imagine. I won't paint any visuals for you there. So David likely is trying to communicate to the people, listen, I tried to do this in my own righteousness, and Uzzah died. I don't want anyone to think I'm doing it that way anymore. It's almost like David is saying, I want everyone to know I blew it, and and I'm trying to do this with the Lord's help this time. And that's fine. And again, just like we should expect when things are done the right way, God, the endeavor goes by without any incidents. It says, so David, verse 15, and all the house of Israel, they brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trump. However... This now leads to David's second problem in these good times. David didn't just have a failure with the ark. David's had years of failure as a husband. And so look at verse 16. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, David's wife, looked through a window. She's watching from high up. The word look there means to look like from a high point down. She's watching David doing his twirling and dancing, saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And it says, she despised him in her heart. The word here, despised, it means to have a very low opinion of someone. Her opinion went even lower than it had been. I can't imagine Michael had a great opinion of David when she returned to a marriage where she now had to share her husband with dozens of other women. But this was the last straw for her. 
whatever affection had been there for David died right here. Now, David, of course, he doesn't know she sees this. He doesn't know she's thinking this in her heart. So the celebration goes on, verse 17. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the middle of the tabernacle that David had constructed for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So now the tabernacle's in Jerusalem, and David is going to have this big, huge sacrificial celebration. The peace offerings primarily were basically just to hang out with the Lord. When you wanted to offer a peace offering, it's mostly because you wanted to hang out with the Lord. Sometimes it's because you were thankful for something specific God did. Sometimes you just wanted to tell God you loved him. But a lot of times it's just to hang out. And so when you would offer a peace offering, the, the scriptures instructed them, invite your whole family, make it a big celebration, make it a big dinner. And so that's what they do. They'd have a big, huge celebration right there at the tabernacle after the offering. And so that's what David's doing here. Burnt offerings symbolize surrender. Lord, we are surrendered to you and we just want to hang out with you. And so David invites all the people to do it. And so as they come up and when he's done with all these offerings in verse 18, it says, as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he comes out and he blesses the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And then he dealt among them, all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as to men, to everyone, a cake of bread, a good piece of of meat and a a flagon of wine so that all the people departed everyone to his house. I mean, this was a huge celebration. You know, the kings, you know, he's just throwing out food and he's invited them all to this feast to just hang out with the Lord together. Awesome, awesome day. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.